Today's episode of the Forum Club is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Lakers tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score last-minute tickets. Basketball Reasons, the new Lakers podcast on the Forum Club channel, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. I am Bill Oram, joined today and always, well, most of the time probably, by Brett Dawson, the new Lakers beat writer for The Athletic, formerly covered the Thunder in Oklahoma City, uh, and has a pretty interesting history with some pretty key Lakers figures also, and we're going to get into that. Brett, welcome to our brand new podcast. What do you think so far? It's great. You're right that that I'm joining you as always. You have never done one of these without me, and I have never done one without you. 100% right now, perfect attendance. Well, I think it is great to have you here. It is great to be talking about the Lakers in their, what are we, 61st season in Los Angeles. Uh, their second with full-time coverage from The Athletic. And like I said, this is the Basketball Reasons podcast. Uh, obviously, if we need to explain the name, perhaps you're new to the Lakers fandom scene, but obviously a reference to the uh, the spiked 2011 trade for Chris Paul, David Stern, basketball reasons. And I think we could argue set off this current era of Lakers basketball, or I guess the era that we're coming out of uh, theoretically, where the Lakers missed the playoffs for six straight years. And uh, you really kind of the dark ages of Lakers basketball, basketball reasons. So a little bit of a nod to how we got where we are. But uh, the Lakers are kind of, you know, coming out, coming out of the darkness, I think we could say. Yeah, it's um, you're right in that, that that trade certainly set the Lakers on the path they're on. It set the Clippers on the path they've been on since, obviously, with Chris Paul going there. A whole lot changed. And it, to me, it makes a lot of sense as a podcast name. It wasn't the only one. I'll tell you considered. what, it took, long, it took us a long time to get to this this name. Uh, we went through some we went through some uh, some less appealing names. I could I, I mean, do you want me to go through some of those now, Brett? I, I think you should. I think people would like to know. You know, people are going to fall in love with basketball reasons, but they, they want to know what they missed out on. It's like uh, it's like alternate casting when you, you you know you love your you love a movie, but you like to know who didn't get the part. Well, how about Vogel Minority? That was that was up there. Good call. Can you dig it? A reference to Shaquille on the podium after the 2000 championship. Um, what else did we have? Tell me how my pod tastes. I was a big a, fan of that one. A little nod back at Kobe and Shaq. Uh, Wake and Lake, a morning podcast about the Lakers. Also my favorite one, I think. One of my two or three favorites, certainly. And then a couple of Rob Palinka references. Architecting, a favorite a verb of his. And then 100 people, one trolley car. That one is is beyond me. I, didn't, I, I, don't, I don't know enough about Palinkaisms. I'm still learning. <laughs> okay, Brett, um, you were at the game last night. Lakers uh, played the, the Warriors. Anthony Davis's debut at Staples Center. 
a big night in a sense. I was not there, uh, took it off after being in China for a week, um, which was obviously a total quagmire of an experience. We'll talk some about that. But I do want to talk about last night's game because you were there. You wrote a pretty interesting story, I thought, about the evolution of Anthony Davis as a passer. And I guess I'll just get into this right now to help set this up. Part of the reason you're able to write with such authority on AD right from the get-go, your third day on the job here in L.A., is that this is not your first time covering him. It is also not your second time covering him. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of your background on Anthony Davis and then that other um, that other key Lakers figure I alluded to? Yeah, right. Uh, um, third day on the job, third stop covering Anthony Davis. So I was covering him at Kentucky for the one year that he was there. I was um, doing I was covering Kentucky for Yahoo Sports and then also the Rivals.com uh, Kentucky site there. I had covered Kentucky previously uh, at the Courier Journal in Louisville. So I had a, a long career covering them, um, but did spend the one season that he was there, uh, was writing about the team, the team that won the national championship. Kind of the the thing I think that AD is, has, uh, we've talked about before, the, the thing he's trying to get back to. He was a champion. He was a great winner uh, at Kentucky, and that's still what he wants to be in the NBA and, and, and something I think he knows is missing on his resume, a thing I wrote about a little bit this summer. But then covered him for a year uh, in New Orleans as well at The Advocate, so uh, in the New Orleans newspaper, um, and and spent a lot of time with him there and, and spent a lot of time watching him and dissecting his game and talking to people about his game. And so, yeah, to, in context of last night, you know, in New Orleans, I think the one thing that was sort of missing for him um, as an offensive player, and he obviously has, has a, a great many offensive skills, his passing was not up to speed in terms of, you know, he could draw a double team and then see an open guy. But what you've seen change in him and what I wrote about today is now he anticipates that double team. He knows where the guy is going to be. He's attacking those traps instead of instead of sort of reacting to them. Um, and that's something Alvin Gentry really drilled in when he first took the job, when he, he was an assistant at Golden State. Uh, went to New Orleans and and almost immediately started to talk about that being the next evolution for Anthony Davis. And we're seeing it start to happen. I think it really happened last year. He made a big leap. And I think we're seeing that continue with the the kind of talent he has around him here. Well, and then there was that pass right at the end of the first quarter, right, to Alex Russo. That was, that was kind of the one that I think got everyone's attention where he's in the high post and he finds the cutter right before the buzzer. I mean, it was, it was a really impressive pass. And it was a night where we talked a lot about the Lakers, the Lakers playmaking, the, the passing the Lakers have. They had LeBron and Anthony Davis combined for 19 assists last night between the two of them. The Lakers, over the last several years, despite the emphasis on ball movement, um, had a lot of games where they didn't get that many from from the entire team, let alone just two guys. So it was it was exciting. Obviously, LeBron had the highlight reel passes that had everybody buzzing, including the circus pass to Danny Green in the corner. But if Anthony Davis can be that kind of playmaker as well, obviously, that's that's a game changer for the Lakers. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's been well documented that A.D., while he has played center and has played a little bit here already, uh, likes playing with another big guy, likes being at the four and having another guy at the five. And you saw some of that chemistry he already has with JaVale McGee, that ability to draw a guy and, and JaVale rolling to the rim and, and uh, AD's ability to spot him. He found shooters last night. You know, I, I think the, the Lakers have this idea that this is the way that they're going to play. And when you have two guys like LeBron and AD who can create for themselves so easily – Sometimes the ball isn't going to move around the way it has at times in the preseason and certainly the way it did last night. I think the Warriors have some defensive issues on the perimeter, and that's 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 worth noting when you look at what happened last night, especially without Klay Thompson. But, you know, if those two guys are willing to move the ball that way, not just not just get the assists, but but swing the ball, make the right play all the time. It really unlocks a lot of stuff, I think, offensively. 
I will tell you I'm a little envious of your of your history with Anthony Davis only because it seems like everybody on the Lakers beat is 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 the personal beat writer of of, of some player. <laughs> you got Kyle Goon over at the Southern California News Group who covered Kyle Kuzma in college now with the Lakers. Dave McMenamin has covered LeBron in multiple steps, uh, multiple stops in his career. I mean, all I've got is seven years on this beat and no playoff games like <laughs> I've cycled through, I don't know, 90 different Lakers players over the last seven years. So um, you, you obviously you bring a certain expertise on a guy everybody's really excited about. And who else, by the way? Frank Vogel and I went to college together at Kentucky for a brief period of time. I'm old, so that's a thing. But for, uh, Frank, interestingly, weird story about Frank Vogel. Are you he the was... oldest person to have a podcast in America? Oh, gosh. Uh, Tony Kornheiser has a podcast. He's way older than me. Way, so way We're going to let our, our listeners at home, our listener at home, Try to figure out try to figure out your age based on on the clues you've provided so far. I'm 68 years. Um, no, so uh, Frank and I were in college at Kentucky together, and he was in a class with my roommate's girlfriend. And this is this is this tells you how much covering college sports teams, covering sports teams in general, has changed. This wasn't something that happened because of a PR person. Nobody even knew this at the time that he was he was a manager on the varsity men's basketball team, Rick Pitino's Kentucky basketball team, and they had created a JV team. It was really a one year experiment because essentially Rick Pitino needed something for Nazi Muhammad to do because he wasn't good enough to play varsity. So he was put a, he put a JV team around him, and Frank played point guard on the JV team. And so I wrote a story for the student paper about Frank, this guy who my roommate's girlfriend told me I should write about that was, you know, a manager for one team and a point guard on the other. Well, this would have been a great story for the Vogel minority, right? That is an awesome story, Brett. And it kind of ties in with what Frank was talking about earlier in training camp. Also, before you um, got moved in, in LA, where Frank was talking about, you know, kind of the barnstorming tours that Kentucky seniors would go on once their playing careers were over. Um, they didn't have to worry about NCAA eligibility anymore. And they'd go play games kind of around the state and and, and sell tickets and, and sign things and, and make a little bit of money off being a Kentucky Wildcat. But they needed to fill out rosters. So Frank would play with those guys who were, were going barnstorming. So it's, it's a similar kind of story. Yeah. Back when there were Kentucky basketball seniors. <laughs> Well, what else we have going on in the land of Lakers, the world of the purple and gold? Uh, the team was in China, I guess, recently. You were in China. That's that's what they tell me. Uh, I've been I've been uh, I've had my, my memories cleansed. That was part of coming through customs. What about the rest of that, that experience? Because the Lakers didn't talk. You went all the way to China without really doing any interviews, which is very strange. It was a great investment on the part of the athletic to send you over there and not get to talk to anybody. I thought that was wise. But no, you, you guys didn't talk to anybody while you were there. The Lakers, obviously, you know, uh, Frank Vogel was talking yesterday about the idea that he thinks the jet lag of a trip like that still kind of sticks with you even for, you know, a week or two after you get back. Now, whether that's going to impact the Lakers for that long, we'll see. But they, they got outside and practice this week just to get reacclimated. What's that been like? You had to do it, too. What's it been like for you just getting back into the swing of things and, and you know, back into a routine? I say it's about time somebody cared about the beat writers and their jet that's, lag. That's We've been what, asking players every about. day about their jet lag. Nobody seems to care that we, that that it's just it's just as real for us. No, I mean, it, it, it was weird. Um, it was a. A little bit of an adjustment. I'd say it probably took me three days. Uh, it's Thursday now. Uh, I feel pretty normal. I felt pretty normal yesterday, but it took me the first three days to really kind of get get my feet back under me. Had kind of a weird sleep schedule. Was waking up really early, not just because I have small children this time. Um, and it was, you, you know, it, it, as for the trip itself, it was surreal in the sense that you didn't know what each day was going to hold. Monday, you, you get into China. Everything seems kind of normal. 
But then all of a sudden events start getting canceled. The, the Nets have an NBA Cares event that gets canceled. The Lakers have a NBA Cares event that get, gets canceled. A fan night, fan appreciation or fan event uh, at the arena gets canceled the night before the game. Media availability gets canceled. Now, most of this was being canceled by the Chinese government as a response to Daryl Morey's tweet. But even the NBA started canceling media availabilities um, in response to the meeting that players had with Adam Silver. So you really got the sense that there was no momentum to actually play the games in China, which from a political, uh, cultural standpoint, maybe made some sense, um, but also was problematic in a lot of ways also. But for the Lakers, who flew all the way there and are in the business of being ready for opening night on October 22nd, the idea of not having the practice time that they would have if they were at home and not being able to play the games that they needed to try to get this group up to speed was 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 doubly problematic. So I think every day that we were there, we lived kind of in anticipation of games being canceled. I mean, the most surreal thing, other people have talked about it, I've written a story about it, was walking across the street to go to media availability and watching workers on the side of a building peeling the images of players off the side of the building. I mean, when you look up and you see people literally pulling NBA signage off of buildings and the game isn't supposed to be played until the next day, there's a very strong sense that you are not wanted there. You, the NBA, the players are not wanted there. But at the same time, if the Chinese government had canceled the games, you suddenly have, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of NBA fans in your country who are suddenly saying, hey, this was my chance to see LeBron. This was my chance to see Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving play for one minute before he re-breaks his face. It's just a, you know, it was it was a very complicated situation on all fronts. And, and ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that it was, the wisest thing to play the games just in terms of the, kind of the, the, the statement it made about the NBA and its priorities. But at, at the end of the day, the Lakers needed those, those minutes, the Nets needed those minutes and you know, they were able to get up, they were able to get in and out of there safely, which was the most important thing. But for the Lakers to have to deal with that jet lag in the middle of training camp, not get the practice time they would, they would have, they would have liked to have gotten. Um, it was just a very weird, very weird time. So last week, Bill was a, a little bit of a blur for me because I was in the process of moving from Oklahoma City. So the timetable is a little blurry when I look back at it. But when you left, when you get on the plane and go, what sense did you have of of what was waiting in that regard? Like like as as Maury fallout. It was one of those things where I literally when I got on the plane was thinking, I hope this doesn't become a Lakers story. Like, what would it take for this to become a Lakers story? Because at the time it was very much Houston versus China because of what Daryl Morey had tweeted. Um, while we were on the plane was when the NBA sent their first statement, which basically was the trying to straddle too many things and saying that there were that they were sorry that the comments had offended people um, didn't did, wasn't seen as defending free speech enough. And so then while on that flight now, granted, a lot of things can can happen over the course of a 15 hour flight. But on that same flight was when the email popped in with um, Nets owner Joe size. Uh, statement, which really tried to lay out the scenario of of why the Chinese people were so upset, why the Chinese government took such offense to Daryl Morey's tweet, and then we were off off and running. The next day was the was the was the the Nets event, and then the following day was the the Lakers event, plus media availability the next day and the fan event. I mean, it was, and all those things come off the table one after another, and it like I said, it just totally killed any momentum for the games to actually be played. Those of us who were on the ground, NBA officials I spoke to, people from the team, it was almost sort of like a 
oh yeah, we'll see you at the game tomorrow. Like yuck, yuck, nudge, nudge, because nobody actually thought we were going to be at, yeah. an NBA or at a basketball arena watching NBA games. And then lo and behold, there we are. But again, with no media access. I wondered about that because from here I kept thinking, well, they're not, they won't play these. It, it reached a point where it became surprising that the games yeah. actually happened. It was the same on the ground. I want to talk a little bit more about the way this became a Lakers story, but before we transition to what happened after sort of the homecoming, you had to talk so much about like what was weird about China and what went wrong. Like what was, what was cool? Anything fun about it? Did yeah. You I enjoy mean, yourself? It's funny. Like I just, I had not been particularly looking forward to going to China. It had never been on a, a place that I had never been on my list of, of tourism destinations that I had wanted to check out. It's intimidating to go into an authoritarian, authoritarian country where the visa requirements are very difficult. And I ended up loving it. Like I had a great time. I, I, you know, I, I, I thought the food was incredible. The people were very welcoming and, and kind. I, I enjoyed Shanghai, Shanghai. We, we spent four nights in Shanghai, two nights in Shenzhen. And Shanghai to me had tons of the old, like, you know, Chinese architecture. It was a really distinctive skyline, beautiful to walk around and, and see kind of the different parts of, of this, you know, really vibrant culture coming together. I mean, I think people have made this point over the last couple of weeks, but before I went or before I started planning to go, I didn't know there were 24 million people in Shanghai. I mean, that's two New Yorks. That's New York plus LA. And then, you know, a, a Portland also, it's just enormous. And so, you know, you don't necessarily feel that because it's such a, it's so, I think it, it's so sprawled out as well. It's not like it's all condensed on one little Island like Manhattan, but it is a, it is a vast, endless seaport. And it was, it was kind of awesome in, in kind of the true definition of the word. You know, I was in awe of kind of all that was happening around me, but I will tell you the food was, was bonkers. We ate dumplings every day, tons of noodles. Uh, I learned a lot of things about food, ate some bullfrog, uh, at a, at a Sichuan yeah. place and never eaten bullfrog before. It was leaps and bounds better than I expected. Oh God. And I'm sorry. What do you want from me? This is this is who I am. Um, and and it was it was just a it was just it was just a really cool, enriching experience. And and honestly, like, you know, I've done I've done some international travel, but pretty limited compared to a lot of people. I've been I've been to the Middle East once and I've been to London, but otherwise haven't done Europe, haven't done other parts of Asia or Africa. And it was really enriching and made me eager for the next international trip, wherever it might be. Less scared to go into unfamiliar places now. Although I, I was concerned, I will tell you from just a journalism standpoint, the first couple of days when things started going haywire and things started getting canceled and we were having conversations with the NBA, I didn't know if it was a good idea for me to be tweeting about it, if you know what I mean. Like, I didn't know yeah. if, it made, if it was wise for me to be tweeting from inside China um, that the Chinese government had canceled the the NBA Cares events. Like, like I didn't know. I didn't know what. If that would suddenly if, you know, the if all of a sudden like a bunch of black SUVs would come out of nowhere and 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 hustle me inside and I would never see my family again. You just don't know because you have you hear you kind of imagine the worst case scenario. You, you wrote a lot about a, a bunch of different experiences over there. But I did wonder as all this is happening and you've got Daryl Morey sort of and the NBA and China and it's a whole it's a kerfuffle, I guess we could say. Did you get a sense of how much that impacted like fans who were coming to the arena? Because Chinese fans are known for being very passionate about the NBA. Was that passion still evident? Was it tempered by what was going on? Yeah, you know, it 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 was it was both. It was still evident. I, people who had had been to China with LeBron previously, people who had been with the Lakers previously, said that the 
the fervor was a little bit diminished. I think, you know, the first night the Lakers arrived, there were reports of the fans who came to the hotel to see them covering their faces from cameras, not wanting to be identified as being there. I saw a couple of fans when they got into the arena, pull their Lakers jersey out of a backpack and put it on as opposed to wearing it into the building. There were there were vendors outside of the subway there, the Shanghai Metro, handing out Chinese flags to everybody who came off the train. So we were inside the arena watching hundreds of people pour into their seats holding little miniature Chinese flags. And so I had this vision of the game starting and, you know, 18,000 people waving miniature Chinese flags and that being the backdrop of, you know, LeBron and AD playing in China. And that's really not what it looked like um, ultimately. But there was kind of this almost felt like this um, this tug of war between Chinese pride and love of the NBA because the NBA was sort of uh, due to Daryl Morey's tweet viewed as being in opposition to Chinese pride. And this is a very, very prideful country where there is a a great sense of, you know, national national pride in China. And you see and, you know, we talk about why this was such a big deal. You have to understand this was the perfect storm to create an international issue. It was right at the end of, of their national holiday. So national pride is at its peak. It's the GM of the Houston Rockets, not the Phoenix Suns, not the Milwaukee right. Bucks. If John Horst tweets this, I'm not sure anybody is as up in arms. But because it is the Houston Rockets, because the NBA had teams going there right then, because the, the Shanghai Sharks were in the U.S., there was so there was such a focus on basketball and on on you know, on China, and because you have a trade war, because things between Hong Kong and China had 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 kind of hit fever pitch it was just all of that happening at once and then you put and then you put some basketball games right in the middle of it it was it was it was tense i mean anybody who says it wasn't tense over there is you know wasn't there you mentioned this possibility that it would become a laker story and your concern about it becoming a laker story it has not really stopped being a laker story yeah um largely because of of the way LeBron addressed the issue when he did finally talk about it, which was once he got back here um, to L.A. and and on Monday before the preseason game, made the comments that he made, um, which you wrote extensively about and and quite well uh, and quite eloquently on Monday about, you know, his his characterization of Daryl Morey's tweet as as uneducated um, about the situation. Uh, LeBron doubled back on those comments to try to say that what he was what, what he meant what intent what he intended to say was that Daryl Moore didn't really think about the ramifications of those actions. But it was uh, it, it was a, a, a rare pregame uh, preseason media scrum that became the biggest story in sports for about 24 hours. Yeah, I, you know, and I I have a lot of thoughts on this and I, because I do tend to take LeBron at face value that he was not trying to attack Daryl Morey's um, understanding of of the international conflict and that he basically felt like Daryl Morey did not consider the impact his words would have on the NBA, which in some ways is is not any better. Like I wrote this. I mean, the Supreme Court has written this before, but free speech is often inconvenient. And the fact that Daryl Morey said this when he said it made this a put the, put this issue, put Hong Kong right on the right at the forefront of a lot of Americans minds, people who were not thinking about this issue. I also think that LeBron could have articulated that in a way that didn't offend so many people where he could have said Daryl did not think through the, the ramifications this would have. The fact that it would put, you know, 38 NBA players on the ground in China in a really uncomfortable position. But instead, he talked a lot about about the financial ramifications, which 
you know, li- listen, are real. I mean, those LeBron had Nike events, Beats events. There were sponsorships that were going to be announced there. I reported that Kyle Kuzma had two sponsorships that he was going to get to announce when he was in China. And those suddenly not necessarily the sponsorships are off the table, but the announcements were off the table while they were in China. And I think the thing that LeBron missed here, the thing he missed most, and and listen, I'm not even I'm not even mad at him for caring about the money. This is a guy who runs a business empire and and should carry care about making sure that his money and his assets are protected. What I what I wish he would have done or I think he could have done himself a lot of favors by doing is acknowledging the complicated nature of the situation, acknowledging that he does a lot of business in China. And I I feel like he had several opportunities to get on that path. I asked him very directly in a very small media scrum with just four reporters if the events of the previous week had altered or affected the way he viewed what it means to do business in China. And he basically punted and said, well, for me to do business in China is just to play basketball and everything else comes along with it. Well, no, I mean, you you do business. You do business in China quite consciously with Nike. And and there are a lot of people in America who who are calling for corporations to get out of China. And that might be too tall of an order. But I think if you are going to be the face of a of a company in China doing some self-education, so you are not misinformed, that you are not uneducated to be able to explain why you are comfortable morally and ethically with doing business in China would would go a long way. And then one of our colleagues here, I think it was Andy Kamenetsky, asked LeBron if he planned on doing any research to learn more about the situation in China. And he also he said then basically that he's focused on leading the Lakers and trying to win a championship, which is which is great. But at the same time, I go back to what I said previously. There would I think LeBron could have done himself a lot of favors by just saying, I don't know enough right now, but this is obviously something that matters to the NBA. It matters to my business interests. And I'm I'm going to I'm going to learn more about it. Yeah. And I think one of the things he tried to say um, on Tuesday when he readdressed it. Uh, was that you know if you have issues that you feel passionate about and you feel educated about you should talk about them that was a point i think he did not make the first night on monday and given how outspoken he's been i think it's important for him to address that idea that it is okay for people to voice their opinions and i think that's something he probably should have made a little clearer that first night is that he wasn't telling he wasn't trying to silence daryl morey uh or hinder anybody's freedom of speech um, and that, that was a weird sort of misstep by LeBron because he makes so few of them, publicly speaking. He's he's so, so savvy about what he addresses and how he addresses it. And that was kind of a miss uh, in my book. But he, he, you know, as you said, he went on to say uh, he's focused on the Lakers and trying to win a championship and that he would do a disservice to his teammates if he kept talking about this. And so he's going to move on from China. And he was not asked about it again last night. And so uh, it's basketball time, I guess, in L.A. Yeah, until it's not. I mean, this story right. is not over. I mean, the NBA's relationship with China is going to continue to be is is going to continue to be murky. I mean, I think that both sides are trying to move forward, but there's still going to be added wrinkles in this story as the NBA gets back on track. If it, as if Tencent ends up fully restoring its partnership with the NBA, if 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 the Rockets are able to um, reintegrate into that market, I mean, there's going to be. Um, hopefully, it's trending positively but there will there will be more here and because lebron handled it the way he handled it um there's going to be there's going to be a need to check in with him on this and by the way when they play the houston rockets i mean are are he and daryl morey going to get together are they going to make up are they going to become friends or is this now a uh is this now an nba feud Uh, lebron obviously said he was not trying to start a a a feud or a war of words with daryl morey but um that is exactly what he did yeah and of course daryl morey 
probably by design has not spoken out uh, again about this and hasn't taken questions about it. And that is probably not something that the Rockets want at this point. At some point, he probably will have to. But that point is not uh, right now. Bill, in the midst of all this, the Lakers are like a few days away from starting the season. They're going to play the Warriors again because that's what they do this preseason. Preseason playoffs, baby. Yeah, one more at Golden State in in San Francisco, which is still hard for me to get used to saying on Friday. And then that Clippers game is is barreling our way. Yeah, it's 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 crazy to think that we're we're finally here. Slack Mamba's raising the roof of her of her closet. Um, I don't know if she's excited about the season or excited that we're done talking about China. <laughs> we I think I think we made it through without um without stepping on any of those um, potential landmines. So yeah, regular season's right around the corner. First of eighty two games, then presumably. And listen, I've said this a few times over the last few years covering this team that it seems like the Lakers are finally going to be a playoff team. I think. I think I'm ready to go on record in 2019, 2020, that this is the Lakers year to get out of the lottery. (laughs) It has been a long time coming, but I think that this roster and we've seen we've seen we've seen it in the preseason. We've seen some pretty incredible moments. This team feels like it has the potential to certainly contend, if not if not go all the way. And if you've been following this team closely, I know I have Slack Mamba has Brett, you've been mercifully not uh, cursed with that obligation. It, it will be fun to watch some quality basketball going forward. I'm just trying to parachute in for the success, baby. I didn't want to go. Th- I didn't want to go through the grind. Where, where, where do you think Anthony Davis is going to go next? Where and, and obviously by extension, you. Yeah, like a, if, he, if 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 AD this goes sideways and AD goes to Chicago next year, you move into the Windy City. We'll uh, we'll address that when we get there. But normally there's a gap. He uh, one of us relocates, and then it takes us a, a year or two to get to get uh, back together. So has there been a situation where you did not follow him? I did not follow him immediately to New Orleans. He was there for a couple of years before I got there. So I didn't. He's never I, I was, followed you. No, he did not go to Oklahoma City. Okay. I mean, I was at Kentucky first. I was covering Kentucky before he got there, and I went to school there. So he followed me in that regard. All right. He okay, followed me and like John Wall and like every other lottery pick from the early, you know, 2010s. You get credit for all of them. I'll do it. Okay, guys, before we go, one thing that just came in over here on the uh, on the wire. Luol Dang, a, a one-time Lakers great, has retired from basketball. Brett, your thoughts? You know, it's it's weird to think about Luol Dang retiring. It's it's not strange in the sense that you look at what's happened physically to him the last few years. Um, he hasn't obviously been able to play much. He wasn't the same player. Um, but it still feels odd. It feels it feels it, I don't. It makes one of those things that makes me feel old. That Luol Dang has reached the end. So here's here's my here's my my thing on it. When the Lakers had gone years and years of not not using their cap space and and turning it over with with one year deals on guys like um, Carlos Boozer, Roy Hibbert, um, they they finally decide to go all in and spend their money on Luol Deng and Timofey Mozgov. Luol Deng got four years and seventy two million dollars from the Lakers and then played, I want to say like. 50 games for the Lakers. He played most of that first season before getting benched in favor of Brandon Ingram, who needed to start. And then he played the season opener of his second year and then was benched for the rest of the season. Obviously, the direction of the Lakers going young, that made sense. It did not make sense for Luol Deng to be signed in the first place. Those two contracts were key factors in Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss getting fired. But I will always have a bit of a soft spot for Luol, who worked hard, who did not really understand why what was happening to him was happening to him. Um, he was not a small forward. They needed him to be a small forward. 
uh, it wasn't his fault the Lakers gave him $72 million, which, by the way, was always his attitude when people wanted him to give money back so that he could so that he could find a new situation. Ultimately, he did give money back seven uh, seven and a half million dollars. But the Lakers are going to be paying him through, through what, 2022, 2024 um, through as part of that stretch provision. It just it's it's mind boggling. And I used to say I used to say that the Lou Dang contract. When people when people were talking about, well, is this a good deal or is this not a good deal? I said this contract is going to run through the duration of of Donald Trump's first term, and now it goes well beyond that. And it the contract has outlasted Luol's contract or his career. It's just it's just a another one of those very strange tales from the last seven years in Lakers basketball, and that particular uh, narrative thread has reached its end. Okay, take- Brett. Next time we do this, we're going to have seen the Lakers play some real life basketball. I think is that true? Seems true. Yes. Okay. So we'll we'll be back next week. Continue talking about the Lakers. We'll have a better sense of of how this thing's going to start. But for the time being, I'm Bill Orem. He's Brett Dawson. This is Basketball Reasons, part of the Forum Club on the Athletics Podcast Network. <laughs>